at some truth and make it applicable to the, within the context of our mothering because there is nothing like it. How many here have a mom? Just saying, it's relevant to you. Unlike one of my kids who was like, another Mother's Day sermon? Great, Mom. So I said, thanks for the encouragement. But, um, you know, there's nothing like motherhood to change everything. I've been really kind of reminiscent of that transition as we have like eight or nine moms due any second. Well, Roman was one of them. So Sabra's hanging on for dear life. She was due Monday, and she's praying to uh, go into labor any second. We have all these moms, and so I've been attending all these baby showers, and it kind of makes me a little bit sappy because I remember what it was like to go to my shower and to become a mom, and it was dramatic for me to become a mom. I, I was surprised by what it did. I was surprised by how much it redefined and rewired me from the inside out. I had never experienced anything like it. Really, even marriage, it was different. It was, it's just amazing. I remember sitting in the back seat. How many sit in the back seat next to your, the car seat, right? You're like, oh my gosh, they're really mine as you're pulling away from the hospital because they won't let you carry them in the hospital, will they? Like you can hold them in your room, but you have to put them in this cart, you know, in the, you feel like they're kind of borrowed. And then they leave you on the curb with your baby. And you get in the car and I'll never forget pulling out of Henrico Doctors Hospital in Richmond with Derek and just being so keenly aware that everything was different. I remember thinking, were there always this many stop signs? Because, <laughs> like, they seemed so dangerous all of a sudden. Were there always this much traffic? My God, Broad Street is a sinking death row trap, you know? Like, just so aware of this precious life and my responsibility to protect this life and, and just falling in love. I remember going to the mall. I started experiencing postpartum because they tell you to stay home for a couple weeks. Yeah, don't do that because then you just start crying for no reason. And so finally Fred's like, we got to get you out of this building. So I remember going to the mall and being like, there's so many strollers everywhere. How many have shopped for a car and once you decide on the make and model, you start to see them everywhere around town? You're like, I didn't even realize they were everywhere yet. That was me with strollers. Like, oh, I'm not the only one. There's, there's strollers everywhere. But then also being like, I think there's creepers everywhere too, you know? Or, or I remember, this surprised me, I remember watching um, just, you know, the, the regular evening news, and they will show you the mugshot of, you know, the person they're either looking for or charging with a crime. And I remember being struck and really surprised by the thought that was overwhelming to me, that's someone's child, that's someone's son. What's the story there? Like, I would never have had that thought before I became a mom, you know? I was like, I have a boy, you know? I, I, that's someone's child. And so just being so aware of, of being so like completely overturned with love and then so aware of all of the fear that can come with that love. It rocked my world. Now we're all familiar with fear. Yes, we know what fear is. We know what it looks like. I've experienced a new kind of fear that I'm excited to share with you about. Because as you know, if you follow me on social media, sorry, I like dripped when I drank. I really should have a straw because I'm not equipped to do that. Um, but if you follow me on social media, you know that I just recently at the end of March or May, yeah, March, I blocked it out because it was awful. But um, I, I ran a half marathon, yes? And you know that. Okay. So it's my one and my only and anything good that came out of it. I don't take credit for because it it's Nate and Lauren Watney who hornswoggled me into that experience. But in so doing, I experienced some interesting fears because 
you know, you train for this, you show up the morning of, you think you know what you're getting into, but no, you don't. No one tells you. No one tells you what's really going to happen. Because if you're about to run 13.1 miles, you know, you, you, you train for it. You, you have to get up early to eat enough protein and kind of get your body hydrated. So by the time I got to the start line, I had had double espresso, a Gatorade, a water. Malcolm Jones was there. My comrade Stephanie White, uh, Nate and Laura, Amy Burr from the Williamsburg campus were kind of in this thing together. And I show up, and, and, and there's 10,000 people running this race, the Shamrock Marathon, uh, half marathon in Virginia Beach. And so I show up to run well hydrated, along with the other 10,000 runners that are well hydrated. And then you, you get at the start line, and it's supposed to start at 7, but actually when we crossed the line, it was more like 7.40. So guess what? You already have to go to the bathroom. I'm just saying. And so I'm like, huh, we were talking about it, weren't we, Malcolm? Because the things you talk, you're not talking about how beautiful the day is. You're not talking about the vibrancy of life. You're talking about how the heck am I going to survive this experience? And oh my gosh, my bladder is almost full. And I just started the race. And so we're like, huh, that's interesting. And so as we're running, I had given no thought to this part of the race. So there's these huge banks of porta potties. But at every one, and, and there's a lot, there's like 15 or 20 porta potties lined up. But there's like, 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 I'm not exaggerating, 35, 40 people in line. So it's dawning on me as I'm hitting about mile three that, um, you know, am I going to give up 20 minutes of my race time to go to the bathroom? Like, this is getting serious because this is a joke. Because, like, I'm not doing this again. So, you know, I'm not looking to, I'm not looking to break a personal record, but I sure want to give it my best shot. I don't want to go stand in line to go pee. And so I'm thinking about this. It was a great distraction, by the way. I mean, what else are you going to think about? Hallelujah. So I'm thinking about this. So my first strategy is like, okay, what am I going to do? And so so at this point, I'm not running with anybody. So I start seeing, which started to make me angry. This is faith-filled Vanessa. I start seeing men, you know, exiting and coming back through the bushes happy. And I started getting angry. I honestly, I gave a shout. I think at some point I even said, can I get a shout out that men can go in the woods? I'm just saying. And girls were like, rah. So, so then I decided, well, if they can, darn it, I can. Because... I don't know any of these people. I'm just trying to survive. So, so, but it's only late March, so the foliage isn't very thick. So I actually literally was like, well, as long as they can't see the bottom half, so I'll look for some tall weeds combined with some skimpy foliage. And I could just, I was picturing like my face, you know, waving, just waist up. But, I, but honest to goodness, I was okay with that. Because when a girl's got to go, you got to go. And so... So then I was like, that would shame my family. <laughs> if Fred found out, you know. So if the church, yeah, it's just sad. So then I, I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. So then this fear started to grip me because my standards started to really fall. I decided this should have been part of my training. I'm going to go on myself and no one will know. It's better than, so I mean, why not? You're a sweaty mess, right? It's early in the morning. You're ending on the boardwalk, there's the ocean, if it got really bad, you know. So I am not kidding you. I'm picturing it, sorry, crystallizing in myself. I'm thinking, you know what the scariest part about it was? I had driven Fred's car, and he, he, I mean, he doesn't even want the kids to eat in his car. I do whatever I want in his car, but I was like, ooh, I, what would I sit on? I really, <laughs> so, but I was like, this is going to happen. This should have been part of my training. Forget running 13 miles. I should have trained to go to the bathroom by myself. And so... 
just as I had truly good, it was like mile six, and this time I'm in agony. Um, I'm th- you know, we've been through multiple drink stations as well, so it's just adding to, because you can't say no. And so, <laughs> so I decided, and then I, I'm not kidding you, we entered Fort Story down there, if you know the route, and we came around the bend, and there was just four little porta potties, but there was only four little people, and I felt heaven open. I heard the hallelujah chorus. I ran over. I said, I will give up four minutes of my life, my race time for my dignity. Nate Nowatney saw it. He passed by. Shay Vanessa. So I won't tell you about the fear I experienced in mile eight when I was digging for chapstick because a girl, again, got to keep your lips moist. And I hit the deck and scraped my face and started to fear bleeding out. As you know, your blood doesn't coagulate the same way when you're running, you know? So yeah, that was really neat. But I wasn't going to tell you about that fear. So we all know fear, yes? So fear, fear comes in lots of ways. That kind of fear is easy to recognize because that kind of fear comes in a moment and, oh, sweet relief, it passes in a moment. Yes? Right? You, 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 you understand what it looks like. You can picture it. You can point to it. And then it stops and it goes away. Something resolves itself. The kind of fear, however, that I think as parents and as a mother that I deal with the most is the kind of fear that starts as a worry or a doubt. It's that sneaky, low-level, low-anxiety, questioning, misgivings, anxieties. Can any mom say yes? That feeling maybe not completely confident of what I'm doing, that feeling of, of slight agitation, some misgivings in the back of my head that then can begin to take root in my heart and in the garden of my life. It starts by some simple uneasiness, but if you've been a parent for any amount of time, you know that that can begin to grow. And that kind of fear is scary because it comes real subtle and then it becomes part of how you think. It becomes part of how you view life, how you view God, how we make decisions, how we view ourselves, and it begins to change and affect how we live our lives. So I had some experiences, just a couple situations that I began to realize, you know, God is so good, isn't he? How he just takes a spotlight of truth and he just kind of shines it in a corner of your heart and you see something that you didn't know was there. And so I had a couple things to happen and nothing dramatic, but I began to realize that I who am not, I'm not a worrier person, so I just wasn't aware of that being part had become part of me, I began to realize that I needed to take care of some fear that had begun to grow into my life, some fear that had started to cloud how I was decisioning and thinking specific to parenting. So I don't know about you, but when God shows me something that's not supposed to be there, I don't want to shrink back. I want to roll up my sleeves and say, all right, God, talk to me. I see it, right? I see it, and what does your word have to say about it, and how am I going to do it? And so I started just this own journey, and I want to share with you tonight, out of my own parenting journey, I'm right in it, right? 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, my own journey of how do we take fear and and, and what does God's word displace fear with? What are those things, and how do we live in that place of freedom? So I started to ask the question, what does fear have? I want to say, if you're here and you're not a parent, when I talk about parenting or mothering to my college and young professionals, if you're in a different season of life and you're not a parent yet, just replace it with that thing that you feel like God might be asking of you that 
feels a little bit out of reach. Maybe you don't feel completely equipped for the job. Does that make sense? Just replace that when I say mothering, and God's going to talk to you tonight, okay? So I began to ask myself the question, what does this kind of fear do in my parenting? What is it doing? And I began to see right away that it, it's, it's making me believe smaller. It's making me believe smaller about myself and my role, my voice in my child's life. It's making me believe smaller. This is really scary about who God is. It's making me believe smaller about all of the things that God is asking me. It's diminishing my perspective. It's, it's, it's bringing in the boundaries and just instead of living like this, I'm living like this. Does that make sense? What's, what's scary about this kind of fear is I believe you can live a devote, as a devoted follower of Christ and have this fear in your life because it's not so identifiable. You can live a, a life serving Jesus like this. You're just going to live less. And I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up. I don't want to live less. I want to live in all the freedom that God has, all the truth that God has. And so I knew that I had to t- take, take this study up. It makes us shrink back rather than charge forward. It closes doors rather than opens them because we begin to say, I'm not even going to consider that. Well, that could be an open door, but because of fear, we begin to see doors as shut instead of open. And then sadly, it builds fences and around my children. I don't know about you moms, but as a mom, I want my role in my child's life to be a launching pad for the destiny that God has on their life. But when I'm thinking and operating and speaking in fear, I'm, I'm reproducing fear in them and it begins to build fences around them rather than opening the doors that God has for their life. So, so in the spirit of participation, moms, what are some words that are either the opposite of fear or qualities that we know cannot thrive and exist well if fear is present? What are some words that you would like your kids to describe you as that are the opposite or can't exist around fear. Give me some words. Shout them out. Trust. That's a great one. Somebody else. Courage. Absolutely. If we are free from fear, we're walking in courage. What's another describer? Joy. Peace. Victory. Somebody else. Confidence. I love that. There's an assurance, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's courage. There's, there's contentment. I think the word calmness. How many of us would like our kids to describe our mothering as calm and confident? Yes? Don't laugh. Cheerful, filled with faith, joyful, happy, heroic, brave. I love that we sing. We close with that song, Brave. Chris has no idea when he makes a set list. What, what, he had no idea that I was preaching on fear. God makes us brave, right? So, so there's these words that we want to have describe our, our mothering, and we know that none of them are going to do well with fear in our lives. So the Bible has a lot to say about fear. If you're a note taker, a couple verses about fear. Fear is not meant to stay in us. It's not, it's not meant to grow in us. Luke 1, in verse 74, this is pretty awesome. Zechariah, he, is, he, he, he becomes a prophet. Zechariah, in Luke 1, Christ has not been born yet. You know, he is the father of John the Baptist, and he is the uncle to Mary and Joseph to their child Jesus. And so he, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who is the high priest of his day, which is interesting because he's very well acquainted with all of 
the um, liturgy and the rules. How many know the Mosaic law was a demanding place to live under? It was full of rules and codes and how to stay pure and clean and time frames. And so Zechariah's life was ruled by this. And so under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he begins to prophesy about what life is going to be like when the Messiah comes. And he goes through this amazing laundry list in Luke 1 of just what life is going to be like. And one of the things he says is it is going to enable us to serve him without fear. When he declared that to the people that were listening, they had no concept of what that was. They had no idea. Everything about religion was motivated and done out of fear. Do you understand? Everything they did to, to get forgiveness, to become in right relationship to God, was motivated out of fear of falling out of relationship with God. So when he declared, we're going to be able to have a relationship with God without fear, that threw their whole world. They had no idea what that even looked like. What does that mean? What is, how do you do that? Romans 8.15, the writer is talking about living a life empowered by this spirit. He writes, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So, so we're born with fear. It's part of our human nature before Christ redeems us. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry out, Father. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You can't read the Bible very long without realizing that fear is something that is in us, it's part of our human nature, and it's something that we have to work diligently to see removed from our lives. And so tonight, I want us to look at our primary text, 2 Timothy 1.7. It's a verse we've probably all memorized, we've all heard. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so as I was on my own journey, I began to ask God to open up what power, love, and a sound mind is within the context of my mothering. What I find interesting about those words is they're not the opposite of fear. I would say bravery, courage, those are the opposite virtues of fear. These are things that if we're feeding them, if they're thriving, if they're growing in our lives, what I like to think is that they begin to flourish and grow and they displace the fear in the garden of my life. I, um, I'm so in touch with the analogy of gardens because I bought this house that has a lot of gardens. Mm -hmm. Yes, crazy gardens, okay? Crazy mulch beds. And so this is my first spring working these mulch beds. And when I moved in last fall, I was like, I just wanted to mow them down because they were kind of overgrown because, of course, when people sell a house, they stop taking care of it the same way. And the house had been vacant for a number of weeks, and it was right during the summer. And so when I actually, like, found my toothbrush and, like, was able to, like, you know, get out of my, the inside of my house and move my way to the outside of my house and start looking at these mulch beds, it was insane. There's just stuff growing everywhere. And so I began to realize one of the things that was crazy about these gardens is that in between the beautiful clumps of black-eyed Susans and irises and the knockout roses, there was just, there was ground cover everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind. There's nowhere for your eye to rest. It's crazy. It looks messy. And so my mom came to help me because I was completely overwhelmed by these mulch beds. I was like, mom, I don't even know what's what. I need you to come. And so she did. And so I, of course, I just started just grabbing this ground cover. I'm like, oh, I'm going to find some ground. We're going to make it clean and neat, right? I'm going to mulch it. And as I was doing that, 
she said, you know, she knows because I'm, you know, in my 40s now, so she has to be careful and bossing me around because I've never been good about taking it. So she's like, honey, sweetie, I know it's your house, and, you know, you can do whatever you want with your mulch beds, but I just, I just want you to know that, you know, the lady that lived here, she lived here for 30 years, and we knew that. You know, there's probably, there might be a reason why she planted this ground cover. She said, because, you know, you're ripping it out, voraciously, I might add, sweetheart, but um, do you know that when you rip this ground cover out, you are then creating an open bed for, for weeds to grow. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mom, you're so right. She goes, so if you want to weed all of this, but my guess is this is a lot of stuff to weed. So my guess is over time, this nice lady, Mrs. Quigley, that owned the house for the last 30 years figured out that ground cover is easier than weeding. And I thought, what a great analogy for our own lives. You know, when we, when we see the weeds like fear, we want, to, we want to feed and let grow over and displace fear or all the beautiful things that God has. And I believe for, for my life, I believe for your life, tonight God wants us to open up power love and a sound mind and have us look at what those are. So how do I, how do I begin to displace fear? By through power. What does power mean in my mothering? Power is authority that comes from knowing my identity in Christ, knowing who I am. It's Christianity 101, yes? That God, God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knit me in my mother's womb before I was, that he has a dream and a plan for my life. Do you believe that about your life? He knows you. He has, he has written about you before you were. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on our head. I love that choice of analogy in the Bible because guess what? The hairs just changed when I went like that. So it's God saying, I don't just know you in a moment. I know you moment by moment by moment. Like I know you and I love you. And then the word goes, his word goes on to say that God not only knows us, but he has numbered our days. He has chosen things for us to do, yes? He has plans and purposes for us. When I begin to believe those things, when I begin to read God's word and realize who God says I am, then I begin to connect the dots that, okay, if this is, God says who, I, this is who God says I am, then his word also says that there's nothing that come, can come before me that I cannot accomplish through who he is. That there is no task that is too big for me that's going to come into my world. That, that his grace is more than enough, right? That his timing is perfect. And so in my mothering, if I look at my life and I see my mothering as something that is then can sometimes be overwhelming. I begin to step into a new place of authority that displaces fear by knowing that this too is hand-selected of the Lord. That God has chosen me, it's not a mistake, God has chosen me to be the mother to this child. And I just want to say, no matter what your journey to become where you are as a mother, whether it was through careful family planning, whether it was through, surprise, whether it was through adoption, whether it was through remarriage, a blended family relationship, however you came to be mothering your child, God is not surprised. He has not stepped off his throne and he is not worried about it. He has actually the very opposite of that. Do you understand that, moms? He has hand-selected you to be the mother to this child. 
And I know that there are so many of us that there's times in our mother when we look at our child, we'd say, what planet did they come from? What do I do? I'm so deep in it now, but oh my goodness, wow. Yeah? Am I the only one? Wow. But there's a new place of power and authority that comes when I realize, oh no, no, I might not have the solution in this moment, but I know the God who is the solution. I know the tools that he has to equip me. And I am hand-selected to mother this child. I pray into that every day. God has chosen me out of all the people that are alive on planet Earth within my age frame to be Derek Paul Michaud's mother. Does that make sense? To be Ethan Thomas Michaud's mother. So in moments where I feel ill-equipped or I feel like the match might not be perfect, you know what I'm saying? I know, oh no, oh well, no it is because there's an authority and a power that I walk in from knowing who I am in Christ. Does that make sense? The second thing with power I believe that's so important is that we need to know that God has given us every tool on our tool belt that we need. That he gives us all the equipment for the job. Because what's so fascinating about becoming a parent is you leave the hospital and there's like no manual that comes. You know what I'm saying? There's no frequently asked question, checkbook, I don't know. There's no 800 customer service line. You hear what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden, you're a parent. And you have to then be a diligent steward of this gift that God has given you. And you have to begin to arm yourself with the tools that God has given us. Because God has given us wonderful tools. How many love to see someone who knows their, knows their trade and they know how to use the tools of their trade? Um, I was getting a quote for something in my kitchen the other day and a guy comes in and he pulls, you know, he pulls the, the, the um, measuring tape off of his belt and he just like whips it, you know, like this. And I was like, you know, I was trying to help, but like, do you need me to hold it? And I could tell. I was like, Vanessa, stop. Get out of the room. <laughs> he's like whipping it down. Then he's going around corners. He's measuring stuff with no help, all one-handed. It took him no time. It would have taken me an hour and a half and none of the measurements would have been accurate. He just, he knew the tools of his trade. You hear what I'm saying? As parents, as mothers, there are tools that God has given us. He's going to help us to become, not just know what they are, but know how to use them well. And we're going to be surprised at the equipping that comes from the throne of God for our mothering. God gives us everything that we need for each season of our child's life. 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the woman of God may be equipped for every good work. He does not just ask us to be something. He gives us what we need to become that. Yes? Hebrews 13.21, that I will equip you with everything good for doing God's will. Everything that you need. So how many times have you felt ill-equipped as a mom for the task? You don't have the answers. And our immediate, natural, human nature response, right, is we begin to go, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I begin to feed doubt. I begin to feed worry. I start to have misgivings. I start to lack confidence. And that's, that's the beginning of fear starting to feed itself. How cool would it be? How cool would it be to go, you know what, I don't have the answer right now, but I know the God who does, and so I'm not going to give that place, that thought any place in my life. I'm going to look to the tool belt that God has given me, which, which is his word, it's, it's a, a church family, it's community, it's all of the resources that are in our lives, and I'm going to know that God is faithful to meet me and give me the solution. So how do I get equipped? You might say, that sounds great, Vanessa, but I need those tools like yesterday, so how do I do it? 
I would say you're in a good place. If you're part of a church family, we have a teaching intensive pulpit here at City Life Church, you are going to be taught the truth of God's word. And, And all of the pathways that we talk about, those 12 pathways and those 24 virtues, those are real. They're part of what we talk about, how we live life, what we do. Those are important. So if I had to sum it up into one thing, I would say moms begin to get to know God's word begin to get to know God's word. If you want to further be equipped by Saturday, if you want to be further equipped by Monday morning, open up God's word. So many of us want the answers, but we're not willing to be diligent in opening up God's word and beginning to have a conversation with God about what needs to happen. Once we know God's word, this is awesome, we can begin to live God's word. This is where it gets real. We become changed by knowing God's word. We begin to act on what God shows us in his word. And then this is where it really hits home for parenting is once we're living it, we have the privilege and freedom now to teach God's word. Often not even with words, right? It's just the level of excellence and faith and integrity and the virtues of, of serving Jesus begin to be an outflow of our lives. And our children then are are overwhelmed all the time with being taught God's word through the example of our lives. And parents, don't teach God's word if you're not living it. Let someone else do it. Can I just say, don't make a mockery of God. I'm just saying, if you know the truth of God's word and you're choosing not to live it, but you're going to call your children to that standard, you need to stop. You need to say to your kids, Mom and dad, I'm in sin, and we're going to, and, and, and you just need to be honest with your kids, because they, they know it. They're going to call you out someday. Just be honest with them. Don't, don't try to teach God's word if it's not active. Now, with that said, what you can do is you can, especially once your kids are middle school and, and older, you can say, you know what? I struggle with this. I'm having trouble getting this right. Will you partner with me in believing God to get this right in my life? Can we pray together? I need to ask you to forgive me. I do that all the time with my kids. Can I need to ask you to forgive me. I need to not do that anymore. I need to not speak that way. I need to not be motivated by that selfishness. I need to, I need to. So you don't have to be perfect, but you ought to be authentic. You ought to be real about what's not at work in your life. So know God's word, live God's word, and begin to teach God's word. That right there is equip, equipping us to begin to displace fear in our lives. Moms who operate in the power of knowing who they are and the authority of knowing that God will give them what they need for the job are able to walk in a confidence that the world does not have. You will not find that at any play dates. You will not find that on any chat rooms. You will not find that on Facebook. And they're also able to raise children who are equipped to build their lives on God's word. That's almost like a perk. How awesome is that? When we get it right, guess what? We set our kids up to get it right. It's it's, it's almost a perk, and I love that. The second virtue that begins to displace fear is love. Now, I don't think we need any kind of sermons about how to love our kids, because how many of us, that just overwhelms us. It just takes over our life. If anything, we need balance in that area, especially when you're a new young mom. You're just falling in love with this human being. But what I think it's speaking to here when it comes is concerning love. Love that displaces fear is a commitment to loving God more than seeking the approval of man. And this gets real in parenting because how many know our families and our culture, our own life experiences bring a lot of instruction to how we parent. There's a lot of family expectations. There's a lot of things that are cultural norms that 
we might just expect of our parenting. We just fall into by default. It's very easy to begin to, to, to parent out of norms, not because you're ill-intended. So it takes a lot of courage to have a love for God that is willing to say, God, what do you have to say about this? It results in a willingness to walk the narrow road, to make unpopular decisions when it's necessary to do so. To whatever God is asking you to be willing to serve and lead your family in the way that God is speaking to you. In Galatians 1.10, there was all these popular false doctrines that were coming into the church. And so Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. And it's interesting. These were, these were, people were jumping on the bandwagon of these cultural norms. And, and Paul was alarmed. And he was bringing instruction and correction to the church there. In Galatians 1.10, Paul asked the question, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? He's saying to the church, you need to begin to ask this question. And I believe that's a super practical tool belt as parents that we need to put in our tools belt. Am I, am I doing this to make my parents happy or am I doing it because it's the best thing to please the Lord? Am I doing this to because everyone else does it this way or is this what God is asking of our family? And this is what God is asking. We have to ask the question, are we doing it for the approval of men? Love goes to new levels when we are willing to make unpopular personal decisions fueled by our commitment to please God and not please man. This can be difficult. This can be challenging. God will give us wisdom as we're walking in this, on this journey together. And this doesn't have to be just in big things. Sometimes those are the easier things. It can be in those, all those little everyday things. We need to understand and we need to have a resolve and a knowing in our heart that we will give account as a parent for every situation and circumstance and environment that we put our kids in. And so this changes how I then decision on the circumstances, situations, and environments that I allow my child to be in because I answer to God. So I know a lot of parents who I just don't hear it in their thinking. I don't hear it in their conversation. So when you make a decision, am I going to let my child go there, do this? It's not trying to control the situation. It's not trying to control the child. My role as a parent, though, is to make sure I survey the land. I survey my child's capability, their maturity, their understanding, their ability to be successful. I look at the circumstance, the environment, the situation I might be asking to put them in, and then I have to make a decision as a parent, is my child set up to be successful, to serve Jesus in that situation? Are they able to handle that circumstance? So you're not a controlling parent, you're a wise parent. Controlling parents try to change the environment, overmanage the environment, control the environment, or they try to control and manage the child. Your job is to instruct and train and, and cheer on and then make wise decisions. Are they ready to flourish in that environment? Because at the end of the day, our children should be equipped through the power of God in their own love relationship with Jesus to walk into any situation, but they're not at seven. They're not at 11. Does that make sense? And then sometimes it's just awkward because other people are making different decisions. So we need to be honest with our kids. Every family does it different. Not every family, even at church, does it the same. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of examples of, of from our own life. I don't know, we homeschool. That's kind of weird, right? Not everybody homeschools. 
My, every time we go see my grandparents, they're pretty sure Derek still doesn't know how to read, you know? We, I, have to quiz, I have to quiz them, aren't they, Derek? I have to quiz them on, like, who the president, vice president, secretary of state, and all the cabinet members are because I know that he's going to quiz my, my, my fifth grader. He's, like, for sure, like, no one here is going to know how to read. So there's unpopular decisions. Now, I don't need to defend myself, but I need to... I'm not looking for the approval of man. I'm not looking for, you know, the New York City retired attorney who is my grandfather to approve of that. I'm looking for the approval of God. I need to answer to God. Um, a, fu a, fu a funny example that came to mind, I asked Derek's permission to say it, when Derek was first in RC, it was like about three years ago when the first Hunger Games movie came out. Does everyone remember, remember that? And it was, it was a rage in youth culture. Stephanie White couldn't put the books down. She was reading the whole series. So Fred and I are like, huh, okay. Kids killing kids, neat. We're going to go to the movie before we let, you know, our kids do it. So for us, it, when we went to the movie, he was 11. Our other kids were younger, and we just were like, you know what? This, this isn't a movie we're ready to let him see. Now, I didn't make a big deal about it. I didn't take Pastor Justin aside. No, they had a game night that was revolved around it. Kids came in costume. Then it was the summer, my, my, his first youth camp, Hunger Games was the theme. <laughs> that's okay because that's youth culture. But I had to make, I had revisited that decision multiple times with Fred, and we were like, you know what? He'll be able to see it in another six months, a year, whatever, but, but just not right now. And we had to be okay with that. And then we had to cast vision in his heart. You know what? This is why. And it's going to be all right. And the night before camp, we Googled every detail there was. So Derek won the trivia games, even though he hadn't seen the movie, right? So... <laughs> So nobody had to know that his parents were nerds and wouldn't let him, right? So I was looking out for my boy. Now, since then, they've seen all of them, right? Because our kids change so much. What we let them. I'm telling you if, you, have, if you have kids that are under 10 and you're like, I would never, when you see teenagers, just wait. Just wait. What you say, what, you, what, what, what seems no, I would never let my kids do when they're 10. When they're 11 and a half, you're like, of course. And then you're like, wow. So we change. What, 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 what we're comfortable with as parents changes. What, what our child, where our children are at changes. What they can handle. So what I want to encourage you with love is just resolve in your hearts, mom, that I stand before God and give an account. And know that I can walk in an authority that displaces fear because of that. And the third one that I want to talk about is this, is, that Paul talks about is a sound mind. And you can just say, ouch, right now. Just say, ouch, because a sound mind means that we have given God control over our thought life. That, that a sound mind that displaces fear actually means that God is in control of our thoughts. And how many know that life starts here? Yes? The Bible says that we... we we, we guard, our, our guard, guard our mind, right? We, what is the scripture here? We, we, our words, from the abundance of our heart, her mouth speaks. Guess what, mom? From the abundance of, your, of, the, abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. We guard our, our minds because our life actions come from there. Our behaviors, our attitudes, our motivations. Everything in our life starts here. And so God having control over our minds is of utmost important. The ability to self-govern one's own thought life through the truth of God's word is key to having a sound mind. I just want to say this does not happen overnight. There's no prayer. Sorry, sorry. We can pray for you tonight, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> because there's a reason for that. God wants us to need him bad. There's a journey. There's a process. You can have a breakthrough, but there's going to be more that God has for you. This is a result of an foc ongoing, focused conversation that's intimate and knowing between you and your Heavenly Father about what you're allowing to happen in your thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, 
it says, it speaks to the battle of the mind because it's a battle. It's, it's, it's nothing less than that. It says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. These are fighting words, demolish and capture, yes? These are words that require intentionality and strategy and focus. But that is where the battle for our lives, what becomes our words and our actions and our decisions, is won. And that is where fear likes to, likes to begin. It likes to grow deep roots. It likes to change how we think. And everything begins to change. I replace fear in my mothering by allowing God to bring my thoughts under his control. Philippians 4.8, it says, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. I read it today in the message. I have it here. It says, fill your minds and meditate on things that are true, noble, reputable. I love this list. Authentic, compelling, gracious, the best and not the worst, the beautiful and not the ugly. That is awesome. That needs to be like on a chalkboard on my kitchen, right there. That needs to be everywhere in my life because those are the things that begin as those flourish, as a, as a self, as a, as a God-controlled thought life begins to grow in my life. Those are the things I think about. Those are the things I speak. That's how I begin to live. That's how I begin to see people. That's how I begin to see God. And guess what? Fear has no place when your mind is full of these things. Fear has no place, no footing. So moms, I ask who's ruling your mind. It's pretty simple. What are you allowing to, 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 to thrive there? What are you allowing to take root there? One of the biggest parts of salvation, it's, it's, to me it's two-parted. What I see very clearly is there's forgiveness and then there's freedom that we get at salvation. We get the forgiveness that comes in a moment, the ongoing forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness that sets us free from guilt and shame. And then we're given this amazing, in tandem with that, we're given this amazing gift of freedom. But how many know we have to fight to possess that freedom? That's an ongoing process of saying, I will not settle but to live for everything and all of the freedom that Christ has promised me. As our worship team comes to get in place. I want to read 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is not fear. There is freedom. Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So as we return just to a moment of worship, as we return just to a moment to kind of have a conversation with God. I want to invite each one of us to look at our own lives and, and ask ourselves the question, in tending the garden of my life, have I let some low-growing things begin to take root that aren't supposed to be there? And just like any good parent knows, when you are dealing with a, a vice, you're going to pull it out and you're going to replace it with a virtue, right? If, if you have a child that's dealing with um, lying, you're not only going to bring punishment and correction to the lying, but you're going to begin to elevate and talk about honesty. You're going to start to tell stories from your own life. You're going to start to memorize scripture about honesty. You're going to start to encourage your child in the opposite. So it is in 2 Timothy, this verse in, in chapter 1, verse 7. 
that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I want us to take a few moments to begin to ask God, is there something missing with the power, love, and sound mind that you have for me? Is there more that you have for me? Father, am I, am I, as your daughter, am I walking in the power and authority that comes from knowing who I am in Christ? Am I using fully the tools that you've given me? Am I fully equipped for the task through the power of who you are? Am I relying on Google and my friends or am I relying on the one who made me and knows me? The one who knows me intimately. And then from there, Father, am I loving, am I, am I loving my children in a way that I know that that I'm, that I'm behaving in a way and decisioning in a way that I know that I answer to you and to you alone. And I do not have to seek the approval of men. And then from that place is my, is my thought life a place of surrender to you. God, do you have more freedom for me in the area of a sound mind? God, equip me, show me. So I just wanna invite you to stand where you are as we go to a place of worship and I just wanna pray. Father, I just pray right now Lord, as we just take a few more minutes in your presence, Lord, that each one of us, we would have an honest conversation with you and look at our own lives, Father. We invite the, the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to come, to shine into the corners of our lives, to show us if there's anything that's being motivated by fear, Lord, that we would have the wisdom, the courage, the ability to take you at your word and that we would rip that out and we would begin to grow the virtues that displace it, that you would show us what that looks like in such an intimate and unique way to each one of our own journeys. In Jesus' name.